The Nick Abbott Habit. Well, Donald Trump did say that it was the calm before the storm. Maybe he meant the orange storm that we had in the southeast on Monday. The government announced he was coming for a tremendous visit. It'll be the most huge and successful visit. And no sooner had they said that, that the sky turned orange in his honour. Scientists say that it was the sand whipped up from the Sahara and the smoke from the fires in Portugal and Spain that made the sky the same colour as Donny's face. But we're no longer interested in the opinion of scientists, so let's assume that the devil did it in celebration of taking over the world. God's been put firmly in her place, and the devil is running things now. I say we give him a chance. He couldn't do as bad a job as God has. Unless you're not supposed to say that sort of thing, in which case please disregard everything I've said on the matter. We still don't know what Donny meant when he said that, though, when he surrounded himself with military personnel and said that it was the calm before the storm. Maybe he meant the calm before he went back to his room and threw a huge strop about Rex Tillerson, his Secretary of State, calling him a moron. But he didn't actually do that. That's fake news. The US Secretary of State didn't call Donald Trump a moron. He actually called Donald Trump a f***ing moron. So that's all right, then. And Trump might as well have been teasing across an advertising break on TV. Come back after this to find out what the president means when he says it's the calm before the storm. The press said, what storm? And Trump said, you'll see. It's exciting, isn't it? And of course, we'll be joining the US in whatever it does, because we usually do. And on top of that, we are embarrassingly keen to get on his good side, assuming he has one. Who will we be joining America to bomb next? Will it be North Korea, China, Iran, Puerto Rico, CNN? We might as well arm ourselves with tiki torches and practice the straight arm salute. We're all your enablers now, Donny. Just please give us that super and easy and tremendous trade deal. I'm not saying we're desperate, but we're really desperate. And so's he. He regularly redefines the word unpopular. His ratings are way down and he can't get anything done. His staff treat him like they're in charge of an adult daycare centre, so pretty much the only thing he has left to boost his polling is to start a nice little war. A real war. Not the phony, well-thought-out war with black American footballers or the one with women who want birth control or the Puerto Ricans who are careless enough to suffer a hurricane and put his budget out of whack. No, this will be the real thing. And the unlucky recipient of his plan to get re-elected might be Iran. Trump gave one of his apocalyptic speeches and he rated his performance as A+. He was so pleased with himself, he pasted a copy of it on his fridge. It was the best speech, everybody says so, the greatest speech by an American president or anybody else, I can tell you that. And in that huge and tremendous speech, he blamed Iran for fueling terrorism and causing instability throughout the Middle East and for making fun of his hair. Today it's Iran, tomorrow... Who knows, he could see something sad on TV and declare war on Disneyland for allowing Bambi's mother to get shot. He's warming us up for war, saying that Iran hasn't lived up to the spirit of the nuclear deal. But just a few months ago, that very same Donald Trump said that Iran was living up to the spirit of the nuclear deal. He changes his mind more often than he changes his wives. The deal was that Iran should get rid of most of its nuclear fuel and infrastructure and submit to intensive monitoring to ensure that it doesn't cheat. The United Nations say they aren't cheating, and the US Energy Department said they're not cheating, and Britain and France and the whole of the rest of the EU said they're not cheating. But facts don't impress Donny much. Plus, if Iran are cheating on the nuclear deal, he gets to strut about like John Wayne for the day. And he likes doing that more than he likes to inspect the contestants backstage at Miss World. 
The excuse Trump gave for attacking Iran was their record on human rights abuses and the support that they give to militant groups. Well, guess what? If that's the criteria for sanctions and sabre-rattling, Saudi Arabia had better batten down the hatches just as soon as they run out of oil. It wasn't Iran that the terrorists of 9-11 came from. It was Saudi Arabia. It wasn't Iran that Osama bin Luni came from. That was Saudi Arabia too. Iran's not bombing children in Yemen. It's Saudi Arabia. But they have a pile of money you could see from space, so they get a pass. It couldn't be that the Iran deal was brokered by Obakarama, could it? Trump seems desperate to rescind everything that Obama ever did. I'm not saying he has a problem with black people, but he really seems to have a problem with black people. Maybe it's just that the Iran deal wasn't made by Trump himself. And every deal he did not make is the worst deal, hugely bad, nobody ever saw such a deal. The White House press secretary said that the president is going to make an announcement about the decision that he's made on a comprehensive strategy that his team supports which presumably includes the part of his team that thinks he's a moron. Is anyone else just ever so slightly alarmed that a bright orange narcissistic buffoon off the telly with an ego as fragile as a Fabergé egg and a brain as small as a lark's is the one that's going to make decisions that could take us all to war? Or is it just me? Could all be bluster, of course. The President of the United States of America seems to have an inexhaustible supply of bluster. If you could run a car on it, he'd be so rich he wouldn't have had to borrow so much money off shady Russians. Of course, Trump's making up reasons to attack Iran because it's one of the things he promised at his pantomime rallies before the election. He said it because he knew a bit of Arab bashing would go down well with the yokels from the dingling states. He hasn't been able to do any of the other daft things he promised. He won't build a wall, and even if he did, Mexico won't pay for it. He can't repeal Obamacare. He didn't lock Hillary up, so now he's left with attacking Iran, just to get another cheer from his fans and to sell more hats. Meanwhile, everybody else on Earth is begging him to calm down. We should send him a box of rusks and a rattle. Or buy him a steam locomotive and he can play choo-choo trains. That'll keep him busy. Boris Johnson urged him to have faith in the potential of the nuclear deal to create a more open Iran, which is one of the more sensible things that Boris Johnson has ever said, alongside, I think Donald Trump is quite clearly out of his mind. Bozo of the FO said, We in the UK feel that Iran, a country of 80 million people, many of them young and potentially liberal, could be won over. I think it's important they see there are benefits from the nuclear agreement, so we in the UK want that alive. I can't believe I'm about to say this, but Boris Johnson's right. When you see Iran on the TV, it's always some baying crowd burning US flags. Where they keep getting them from, nobody knows. But that's not Iran any more than the Las Vegas shooter is America. I know for a fact that there is a liberal side to Iran because my sister-in-law is Iranian. I have an idea of what life is like in Iran for young people, and it's not what you see on the news. But don't just take my word for it. As long ago as 2009, a world public opinion poll found that 51% of Iranians hold a favourable opinion of Americans. Other polls said the same thing. Even US allies like India aren't that supportive. I'm not sure we in Britain think so well of the USA. Americans are more widely liked in Iran than anywhere else in the Middle East. Why would anyone want to destroy that? There was a report in the Business Insider online newspaper a few years ago that said for a Westerner travelling there, Iranians are welcoming and generous to a fault. They said a clear majority of Iranians want the nuclear talks to succeed. But if talks fail, many expect that moderates like the current president would lose power to religious hardliners. And those are the bearded loons that bash themselves on the heads with tea trays and scream about the evil West that our television news finds so hard not to film. 
It's like if Iranian TV came here and filmed Millwall football fans going at it with West Ham fans and said that that's what everyone is like in Britain. The more you look into Iran, the better it seems. Women in Iran have long had the right to vote, drive and travel alone. Women served in Parliament and in Cabinet and they get to go to universities. That's not true of our close personal friends, Saudi Arabia, who have only just thought about allowing women to drive. Unfortunately, they still have to wear a bag over their heads that they can hardly see out of. So that might be a small step forward for women in Saudi, but it doesn't sound like a huge improvement to road safety. And get this, apparently Iran has the second highest rate of gender realignment surgery in the world, which is not the sort of thing you would expect of a country you only get to see portrayed on television as a group of furious medieval beardies shouting death to America. On International Women's Day, Donald Trump spoke out against sex discrimination. He winked so hard his comb-over fell off. It comes to something that the president of Iran can speak more authoritatively on gender equality than the president of the United States of America. There's another Iran to the one you think you know. More than half the population is under 24 years old. They don't want war. They want Game of Thrones. Of course, we in Britain are already in a war of sorts with our friends in the EU. We've given them a giant headache, lots of extra homework, blown a hole in their budget and are surprised that they seem to be upset with us. We're like the drunk in a china shop who broke all the plates and then threw up in the middle of the store and can't believe he gets banned. So unfair! French economy minister Bruno Le Maire said Brexit was a historic mistake. He said it was le mistake historique. He also said that our leaving the EU would have bad consequences for British people, which might have something to do with the French wanting to siphon off a lot of jobs from the London banking racket. Those bankers are nasty, evil, fraudulent bastards. But they're our nasty, evil, fraudulent bastards. I think that Mrs M and her band of incompetence are beginning to realise that the foot-dragging by the EU might be because they want us to suffer and have the pound fall so that they can take advantage of us. It's like they want us to have a national heart attack so they can bend over our twitching form and rifle through our pockets. And you know what? We'd do the exact same thing. Just look round the British Museum for evidence. We built a nation on steaming into other people's countries, tying them to posts and nicking all their stuff. We taught the EU everything it knows. We wrote the book on how to succeed by theft. Step one, kill everyone that objects to having their house pillaged and then, as compensation, step two, teach them how to play cricket. So having studied us closely, the French are quite probably delaying Brexit talks in a bid to siphon off city jobs to Paris. They want to string it out to get our jobs. They don't want to get on with the discussions. The more they drag it out, the more desperate we become. Hell, Mrs M actually held Donald Trump's sticky little hand to help him down a tiny ramp just to ingratiate herself with the pussy-grabber-in-chief. How embarrassing was that? It's a good job she's about 30 years too old for him because the next stage in that special relationship doesn't bear thinking about. So the EU leaders are refusing to give the go-ahead to trade talks at the moment. They want to see us sweat. And they've said the decision is expected to be postponed until at least December. And no one in politics does any work in December. Or most of January come to that. So the banks and the other city companies are expected to be forced to make decisions pretty quick. About relocating jobs to EU countries, perhaps. In preparation for us quitting the Union in March of 2019. And the longer the Europeans string it out, the more likely those companies are going to have to say, right, that's it, we're leaving. And like I say, if it was France that was leaving, that's exactly what we would do. Use their predicament to enrich ourselves.
We certainly wouldn't do them a favour, would we? Non, monsieur. And we can't rely on the German Chancellor Angela Merkel doing us a favour either. She doesn't want to have to deal with any of this. She's trying to form a coalition government, stop the rise of the Nazi party and run a country all at the same time. She doesn't want to have to spend all her time doing Nigel Farage's bidding. And France has its own problems too, merci beaucoup. And they all want to get as much money as they can from us and take some of our high-paying banking jobs while they're at it. This fury that we Brits have expressed that the EU isn't playing the game according to our rules seems a bit silly considering that it's us that are leaving them, not the other way round. We're the ones that have upset the apple cart, but we seem to want them to pick up the fruit for us. Conservative MP Bob Neill, the chairman of the all-party parliamentary group on France, said, There is evidence of France trying to drive a hard bargain, and they do have an eye on getting jobs out of London. And if the government is really surprised by that, then we're in bigger trouble than I thought, because that means we're being run by amateurs who shouldn't be allowed to dress themselves for fear that they might miss a belt loop or forget to put their trousers on before leaving the house. Meanwhile, we hear that Whitehall's planning to recruit 2,000 more staff to deal with the UK quitting the EU. 2,000! Let's do the sums, shall we? I'm going to do mental arithmetic now. 2,000 staff. Let's assume they're on at least 50,000 a year. That's next to £100 million a year. And if they're on hundred grand a year, which seems more likely, that means just in extra staff, on top of the people they've already got on the case, for this one task, we'll be shelling out an extra £200 million a year, plus expenses, plus pensions and all the rest of it. Still, what's that said against getting our country back? Oh, we'll have our country back. So that we can do whatever Amazon or Google or Apple or Unilever or BP or Toyota or Volkswagen or Barclays or China or America will tell us to do. Freedom! Freedom to realise our potential. Something that seems to be on a downward curve, not just for us, but for the human race as a whole. Because, and I hate to tell you this, we have peaked as a species. Natural selection has come to an end for human beings. Look around. This is as good as we're going to get. Weirdly, it's the things that we do that are good that are going to be the end of us. Advances in medical science and our tendency to care for those who are least able to care for themselves is both our salvation and destruction. Take cancer treatment. It's a good thing, but it's allowing survivors to pass on the genes that cause cancer in the first place. Before modern medicine found a way around it, those people sick with cancer would have died, and those cancer genes would have been naturally selected out of the gene pool. But that's not happening anymore. Now you can live on a diet of cigarettes and turpentine, and you can mainline cake right into your arm, and modern medicine will keep you alive long enough to have 15 kids who will be parents themselves a few years after going on to solid foods. There was a study from the University of Adelaide, which is an actual institution and not something I made up. It concluded that, besides the good things that medical science has brought us, the unintended consequence is that the gene pool is being degraded to the extent that people don't look like they've come from our gene pool. They look more like they emerged from a pond. And I mean that with the greatest respect. People with illnesses that natural selection would have killed off are able to survive and pass those illnesses to the next generation. People are being born with ill health because their sick parents were kept alive by medicine. And I have to say it, this is also true of stupidity. Stupidity used to be an impediment to reproduction. It used to be a factor that made you unfit. 
Chimpanzees of limited intelligence do not use tools and don't hunt in packs, and so don't get the chance to reproduce because they're less fit for their surroundings than more intelligent chimps, so they don't get to have a lot of hot monkey sex with each other. They make less attractive mates. The more adapted and advanced an individual is, the more likely they are to pass on their genes, making the whole species fitter over time. Call up Charles Darwin and he'll explain it to you. But that equation is broken in the human race. Gormless, mouth-breathing knuckle-draggers are passing on their genes at a faster rate than ever. The types who not only don't have a job, but don't want to have one, because it would get in the way of all that rampant sex they're having with multiple partners, names unknown. They're morons. And the best they can hope for in life is to become President of the United States of America. I've said this before, you must watch a film called Idiocracy. It used to be a comedy about the future. Now it's a documentary about the present. It's about a time when, through medical advances and social aid, the stupids outreproduce the smarts, and they get a leader that barely has enough sense to tie his own tie. See? It's happening already. And it's all the fault of our excellent health care. Say what you like about the NHS, it's better than relying on leeches and prayers to extend our lives. But it has allowed genetic mutations that would have been selected out to be passed on and to flourish. And the better the healthcare, the worse the effect. Poor countries don't have the high levels of cancer in their people as advanced Western nations. And similarly, the better the social care, the more it is likely that those with the intelligence of a mealworm will be able to have multiple children, all cared for by the state, which is you and me. That Australian study suggested that cancer patients should consider undergoing genetic engineering to turn off their tumour-causing genes and prevent them being passed on to future generations. And the same should apply to stupid people. Life should be like one of those roller coasters at the fair. You must be at least this smart to go on this ride. Everyone else gets their bits mangled by a plumber with a rotor router. That's not a controversial thing to say, is it? Every man who cannot pass a strict intelligence test should have to dangle his dingle in a food blender. What's wrong with that? You know, 150 years ago, only half the population was fit enough to have interpersonal Victorian Congress with each other and pass on their genes. These days, everyone can, regardless of the quality of those genes. And the result is The Jeremy Kyle Show. Your neighbours, the audience in a cinema, and everyone else on the road. You know, people. Further details available in my books of columns, which are chock full of pithiness, and I ain't lying. You can find them on the Kindle store at Amazon. They're all e-books, except the last one, which can also be had in ye olde worldy paperback as well. It's the one with a picture of me on the cover about to have my head bitten off by a seagoing prehistoric monster. And I'll be back on LBC Friday and Saturday nights at 10. And back here with another podcast that you can squirt up your device at the beginning of November. And until then, I appreciate your attention. A Big Things Media Production. <laughs> this is-